0: So hello everyone and welcome back to Falcon Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. This week's episode we're going to look at our marvellous start to the season, look forward to our European adventure, albeit Wales, next weekend, and we're going to actually talk about some ground sharing amongst rugby teams with both football and rugby league, and then give a roundup of the internationals and the domestic fixtures. If you want to contact us... We've got the social media accounts. Ian,
1: far away. Yep. So for those on Facebook, it's very simple. It's simply at Folk on falcons. Just type that into your search bar, we will come up. You'll see our nice beaming faces after a too long win. Um, and for Twitter, it's the same. So keep it simple at Folk on falcons. And if you'd like to just email us directly, it's folk on falcons at mail.com. Thank you.
0: First of all, I, I don't think we can start with anything else other than three out of three. How have we done it? It's fantastic. And will it continue?
1: Well, um, it was interesting, D-Rush's comment saying, you know, the bubble's going to burst at some point, uh, probably trying to keep a lid on things, but we'll we'll just keep going and sort of just enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, no way in a million years will we have fought this. I mean, we keep repeating ourselves now every week. But again, well-deserved. We were the much better team. And after f- Three games, I think you can then start to say, well, it's not just luck, is it? After three games, you do get a good idea as to the mettle and ability of this team. And uh, not, not just that, it's the fact we've beaten three of the last season's top four. And also, it's not just three games in a row,
0: it's now 25 games in a row because we obviously got our 15 games from the Championship last season, our six games in the champion uh, Championship Cup pool stages, and then the Championship Cup quarter final, and then three Premiership games. So that's 25 in a row. And I know we've done a bit of research, if you know, pipe up, correct us, but we think that Northampton's 30 in a row, the year that they won the championship, could be the target. But we can't think of anyone else who's at this sort of level won 25 consecutive games.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly in the professional era, I think it's almost unheard of. Um, I remember all those years ago, 2007, 2008, they did have an incredible run. No reason why, I suppose, in the way we're playing, we can't at least match that with the pictures we've got coming up, at least in the calendar year. It'd be nice, but I don't think we can get ahead of ourselves too much, can we?
0: With regards to the game itself, I feel like a broken record, but I don't think that we ever looked like not winning it in the first minutes of the last. Yeah, I yeah. thought actually, on
1: the whole, it was our best performance of the season, uh, which is definitely saying something. Certainly for the first 60 minutes... We were really, really good. I didn't put a foot wrong. By far the better team. Uh, Wasps, I know, were threatening from the high ball, and it was a very clever kick for Gopov's... Uh, well, sorry, Gopov carried out a really good kick for Wasps' trials and good interplay, passing to put the score down in the corner. But apart from that, I thought well, we controlled the game, really. We looked more threatening. It was only in the sort of last 20 minutes where I, I felt, actually... Funnily enough, it was our worst 20 minutes of the season where we started to give away needless penalties a bit. Um, Hodgson, I know he gave away a couple of two needless penalties and that sort of gave them the platform to get what was nothing more than a couple of consolation tries. But the point was they were just consolation because by that stage, really, we'd won the game. I think that the reason,
0: yeah, like you say, the, the reason they came into it in the last 20 minutes is because at that point for the first time this year, Dean Richards knew we'd won the game. He did a raft of changes in the last 20 minutes, got some new faces on that we haven't seen before and it took them a bit of time to gel and also I think at that stage Ross might have just been trying to save a bit of pride and also maybe go for a losing bonus point so they're risking a few
1: more things yeah I mean maybe the changes did disrupt it slightly um, it was nice to see Wakoke Koki come back on there we did a couple of good passes Schroder coming on at Scrum Half was also nice to see finally one of our big name new signings making appearance I mean, it may disrupted it a little bit, but I still think generally we, we were in control of the game um, and maybe a little sort of tension when WAS did get their second try. But again, at that point, all we had to do was sort of defend as we had defended for the rest of the game. As, and that's what we did. And we just by doing that, we was enough to see it out because obviously their consolation right at the end was, was just nothing more than that, exactly that a consolation.
0: Do you think that, we won that game fair and or Do you think there's certain elements where Wasps quite literally threw it away?
1: (laughs) Well, there was a lot of that, wasn't there? Um, Both, I mean, I thought we were really good. We were really well organised, defended really well um, forwards again this week. But yeah, I mean, Wasps did hand to a sort of plate to a degree. I mean, the first try was one of several lost lineouts from them on, in this instance, it was on their own 22, which gave us a platform to get our, our first try. But yeah, they just weren't clicking at all. Obviously, they've, they haven't quite recovered from the final defeat, maybe, just maybe mentally or physically, and they just seemed a pale shadow of the team that did get to that final. Just everything, wasn't it? Just, they didn't really have anything in attack. They When they did look dangerous, they just dropped it or won their ridiculous forward passes. It just, just weren't there, really, were they?
0: Well, there were two blatant try-scoring opportunities that they let go. One was the disallowed try, with the forward pass that the referee somehow said he was in line with and. Thought it was okay, but it was blatantly forward on the replays. And then there was the other one where they went down the, the right wing and dropped it. Fortunately, when they passed it back inside, but there's there just a litany of errors. Every time they flung the ball out, they'd drop it or do a forward pass that wasn't even
1: marginally forward. It was a good yard and a half forward. Not just that, it was the goal kicking as well, wasn't it? We were talking last week about how we were worried about how reliable Gopeth was going to be, he just wasn't. He's never had an off day yesterday, both ball in hand and on the tee, because there was that one point, wasn't there, where we were, of course, we were 10 0 up and then um, went to 10 3, and then they had another penalty, and you're sort of thinking, and it was straight from the you don't know, want these instances straight from the kickoff, and we gave them the penalty, and you thought, you know, we've just scored and we're giving them, you know, a, a way straight back into this game. Fortunately he missed, but you know, the point is that we were really shocked by the fact that he, that he was just so unreliable just in all aspects of his game. Um
0: and that, that, day, was, that was quite different to us because this week Flood was taking the kicking duties and faultless performance, I think it was five out of five.
1: Yeah, I was actually really impressed in terms of well, I guess it would have been Richard's decision there and the I mean I particularly last week was critical of Collins kicking saying that if you want to survive in the premiership if you want to at least do well in the premiership you've got to have a consistent kicker Colin hadn't been that so uh, it was the right I, I mean we were saying or I was saying at least that uh, should give Hodgson a go because we just sort of thought well Fudge doesn't seem to kick anymore but as it turns out Fudge is still a very very good kicker and I'm actually impressed that Richards presumably made that call to say look we, we're going to have to have take the kicks because we can't afford to be you know missing every other kick or whatever it is so that actually really impressed me, not only the fact that Flood was in himself a really, really impressive performance just in all aspects of his game, um, so I think that decision was certainly justified. I, I think Flood might be in a bit of pain
0: when he kicks, he always looks like he's running back to halfway a bit gingerly I know in the past we've said, is, is he carrying an injury? He might just be now in the situation where he's either told he's going to kick or he's just taken it on the chin and said, it's going to hurt my groin for a minute after I kick a ball Um, and I'll do it for the greater good sort of thing. But I'm certainly not complaining when he gets five out of five and puts us in a much better position than we otherwise maybe would have been.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've said that, haven't we? We, is, Is there an injury problem there? And then do you, do we want to be in a position where we are relying on him and he is injured? Um, are we okay to rely on him if he is just knocking them over left, right, and centre, but but he's injured? And because we mentioned this before, how actually we're, we're quite weak at fly half. Um, or do we use these European games as an opportunity to say to Colin, you know, now's a chance to kind of get your kicking boots on?
0: Yeah, and also um, it has to be said we had three kickers on the pitch in that game because for the most of it Joel Hodgson was on, and it was nice to see him have a good run out because we haven't seen that in quite a while and basically the last premiership game they had a, a decent stint in was i think um was it harlequin's where he broke his leg
1: yeah i mean as you say we were there weren't we and it came in a really bad time both for him and the club because he was in the form of his life wasn't he and you could tell he was really pulling the strings and making a difference for us um and it's obviously taken him a while to really sort of Get back to that, and you start to get back to it now. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to see him have a really good run out and, and perform well in a team which, in itself, it is performing well. Yeah, and I'm not sure on fullback for him,
0: or oh, I'm not sure that necessarily. Having him at fullback and Radwan on the wing is the best options we've got in terms of a lineup starting wise. Just given the the aerial challenge that those two face, that neither of them are particularly tall people, and you quite often have these six foot four wingers now who must be plucking balls out of the air against them. Um, I think we've got to be careful with that. And this weekend, I think we are exposed quite a few times um, under the high ball, either from kickoffs up-and-unders or cross-field kicks.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. that. That's when we looked our most weakest and was looked their most dangerous, wasn't it? It was under the high ball. And, you know, as you mentioned before, Gopov's kick for their try was, you know, a clever kick at a high ball, really, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Um, um, but... Immediately before the try, or five minutes before the try, they tried to do exactly the same move from the chaining ground, but they kicked it over their winger's head and he kind of fumbled it as touch and I just kind of chuckled to myself. But then five minutes later, they do it again and... It it came off and they'd obviously practised it and they presumably had realised that we were exposed or had a weakness. The defence we were trying with our kind of blitz up, we were leaving that bit of air uh, space in behind and they might have watched the videos and perhaps worked out. But I think that other teams are definitely going to have seen that themselves and try and exploit it in future.
1: Well, I think in the free games we have played, obviously we played three of the top four last season. You can see in sort of glimpses, why they're you know, why they're such good teams and why they finish in the top four. Um, each one of them, in their own way, shows kind of their almost sort of trademark signature reason why they're good. Um, but I think credit to us in that it's only been glimpses. In um, all those games, sort of we obviously we've been the better team and we generally control those games. And these sort of these other well, really good teams have only sort of fleetingly shown what what they can do. Um, And this week, it was Wasp with the high ball. That's obviously a a skill that they, you know, mastered and used to great effect normally. And credit to us, you know, it didn't change the result really in the end. Um, My question to you would be, if Penny is injured for, I don't know, how long he's going to be injured for, and if our Scott isn't available, who would you then start a fullback?
0: Very good question. And I wouldn't necessarily say not Hodgson, but I may play Stevenson at fullback and potentially put someone else on the wing. But if you look at people and call them utility backs, Conan, I don't feel, would be a fullback. I don't think he's got the pace necessarily, or perhaps the um, the experience there. Flood and Burrell don't have the pace anymore. They'd, they'd be very good experience wise and their positioning would, I'm sure, be very good. But I don't think they'd one on one have much chance against a winger. Stevenson, I get the impression might might be a bit more thinking fullback or has that extra string to his bow. Then, yeah, if if Oscar's not able to play, then yeah, who do who do we put there?
1: Uh, I mean, I would suggest actually probably just keep Hodgson there. Um, I mean, I don't know when Cooper whenever whatever, going to be back or anyone else, but the players who we know are able at the moment, I think you've kind of got to Hodgson um, at the back. I know it's not perfect, but it obviously works to an extent. Is Alex Tate still on the books? I believe so, yes, he is. So you, you really put him in there, couldn't you? Because so, so you forget about him now. He's, he's on the books, he's part of the squad, but doesn't get much game time now. Because for me,
0: he he at fullback never put a foot wrong. He sometimes didn't light the world up in terms of his attacking play, but positionally and defensively, get his angles sorted out and he very rarely made a, a mistake. And I can't really remember many howlers that he's done, maybe only a couple where he's done... Uh, a drop from a high ball and then they've run into the post or whatever but I think all fullbacks have that occasionally but he just kind of I guess maybe has gone on in years a bit and he's fallen out of favour I don't know but
1: Yeah well I mean maybe you can plug him in there for the European games until you get either one or both of Penny and Arscoff there I suppose but well obviously it's interesting to see how they're going to play that and I guess the squad in general over the next couple of weeks
0: Yeah I know when the fixture list was released we kind of thought oh Gordon Bennett here we go but if we look at the fixture list now then we've got Two questions. If both the answers are yes, I think I'm extremely happy. The first question is, are last year's top four going to be this year's top four or five? And then the second question is, have we deserved our wins? And the first question, I think, is maybe a bit too early. This is to say last year's top four are going to be this year's top four or five. But I don't see there being loads of new entrants I think that probably it's quite realistic to say last year's top four will be this year's top six or seven and then do we deserve our three wins? I think on the performances we've given yes we do and therefore I'm extremely happy going into Christmas.
1: Yeah well I mean if you look at the reigning games in the calendar year we've got I know obviously they may not be as important as the league games but it's all very good for confidence and momentum and just nice to have a win anyway but Cardiff is struggling at the bottom of the of the Pro 12. Um, and you've got uh, Castro, who again is struggling in the top 14. So, and especially Castro at home, as well, you know, the French teams don't typically travel well. Um, so those both easily winnable games. And then you've got Leicester at home, which takes on a huge amount of significance because you know realistically we still have to be looking at ourselves as trying to avoid relegation and um, now as we mentioned before and as everyone knows they're probably going to be down there so that would be way beyond any of our wildest expectations
0: well i said last week i think that six or seven wins is enough to stay up so now we only need to get three or four wins out, out of our remaining 19 fixtures so i think that's um what's that one in six one in seven so i think we're in a, a pretty good position at the minute obviously we're in a pretty good position at the minute, but um, I think that in terms of our realistic expectations, we need to be looking to push on in the league definitely and hopefully the Cups as well, just for a bit of excitement. And we don't necessarily need to be looking over our shoulders so much.
1: All you can do at this stage, I suppose, is just keep winning games, can you? You keep winning games and then you get towards the halfway point of the season where you are and then you can sort of set your goals. Well, do we go for... Are we looking at Champions cup place or are we just sort of looking to stay up? I mean... Yeah, I know I said before, half to three games, you do get a good idea about the, the team itself and, and where you are in the league, you start to get an idea. It is still early days, and I do think that certainly once we get to the halfway point, then we can really sort of have clear goals. That says, is that exactly right? Well, what, what do we want from this season?
0: When you say the team itself, I think that's quite an interesting one because we played the first, well, the starting 15 for the first three games. And I know that um, Penny took a bit of a knock, but... And then we've got the European games coming up. But do you think that we'd start the same 15, the following league game when we're back playing again? And then also the other teams have had the, or a lot of the good teams we've played have had number of players out on international duty. Do you think that that's going to be reflected in score lines come the end of December, start of January?
1: To an extent, uh, I think in terms of the, the team selection, um, I think you should and they, they will tinker it for the European games. Um, whether they keep the same team as they have for the previous three games for Leicester, I'm not sure because it depends who comes back from injury and, and you know, who gets injured playing those European games. I, I would have thought that you'd want to go for consistency. I think, Dean Richards may mention the comments about how the consistency is good for how they want to play and in terms of the players' confidence, knowing that they're sort of starting every week, you know, week in, week out. Um, but we'll have to say, I mean, three weeks, I suppose, is a very long time in sport. Um, in terms of the other teams, when they get their internationals back, I think that's probably going to have an effect. We've been, I suppose, fortunate in that we've played Sale and what's, of course, without their internationals, or certainly their like European internationals, um, still and lots of African players. So it's going to have an effect, but we've been fortunate that we've played a lot of those teams that are, I guess, mostly affected by internationals already. And of course, we've done everything we can by by beating them. Um, so I'm not sure if it would affect us too much, particularly. I mean, look, we can only beat and play who's in front of us. Um, yes, some of those teams are going to have international players out, but Leicester will for They'll have their, some of their internationals back But I can't see why that would make too much of a difference really I think um, we still have the, the confidence and the quality To beat those teams I mean, why not? I mean, I'd say we beat three of the top four last season Even if they are, are slightly weakened But then again, so we. we've got a lot of injuries at the moment So maybe it just balances out Our forwards, I'd say,
0: in every single match Have been the better pack um, I know we haven't played all the teams yet, but is that largely due to coaching, individual ability, or or do you think we've got one of the best packs in the Premiership?
1: Um, I think it's down to, well, I, I guess it's hard to pinpoint, but I would say coaching, ability, and the new signing. example, I think the set piece of uh, Fusa, especially at line-out, it's revolutionary because one of the Falcons' things, of course, used to be always losing, losing our lineouts. But I think, I don't know if we're the only team, but one of the only teams to won every single lineout so far this season in three games, considering who we've played is absolutely incredible. And Fuza's been really good, I think, in directing that lineout. He's got his jumps timed perfectly, his, his safe hands with it. Um, So he's I think he's been incredibly important. And we were talking about when. We first game declared, we you know, we're going through our new signings and we were saying, well, I think we're going to have to trust Dean Richards a bit on this one because we've never seen him play. Um, obviously, Miss things a bit of a competent player, but I think he's been brilliant. He's a bit of an interesting hero because I think we've been concentrating a lot on Burrell, for example, as the standout new signing, but Fouza's been exceptional. Uh, I think that's contributing. McGuigan's been exceptional. Robinson's been exceptional. We've said it many times. There's a few names. They've all been brilliant. Every single one of your forwards, week in, week out, are playing brilliantly. You're going to be one of the best packs, if not the best packs. I would say we're definitely the top two. I don't think the league table lies, um, and the performances don't lie. Exeter maybe have a better pack simply because they're just so clinical, um, and maybe they sort of edge it in that regard. But otherwise, I think we've got to be right up there.
0: I know it's the commentator's cliche that the referees don't know about the front row. Nobody knows what's going on, blah, blah, blah. But I do think referees have an innate bias towards a pack that they believe is stronger. So if you had, I don't know, New Zealand playing against your Italy and the scrum collapses, they'll give the penalty on the first scrum to New Zealand because they presume Italy will have been the ones collapsing because they are the weaker pack. And I think that the referees have now realised that we are a strong pack. And they don't have that innate bias. And therefore, I think it showed we got a couple of penalties the last couple of matches at scrums. And that is because we're A, winning them. And B, we are not contributing to faults at the scrum. And referees are seeing that. And I know that the linesman um, or the video ref, one of the two was telling the referee very early on that the um, the Wasps, I think it was the Wasps tight head, was going down on his knees early in a couple of the scrums. The referee didn't blow them, but he had a word with them. And then a, a couple of scrums later, we got a penalty.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a lot of it is guesswork. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, I suppose it is well known that if the one pack is kind of a bit on top, then the referee kind of generally favours them. And, you know, if anything happens in the scrum, it's generally sort of assume well obviously it must be the pack that's under pressure or the one who's generally giving away you know most infringements is the one that's under pressure um I, maybe it's just the personnel in the sense that mind games slightly that generally our pack is quite experienced and if you've got say like your McGuigan and your and your Munipola there in the pack and you've got say a young against a younger front row maybe subconsciously the rough things well they're the more experienced pack maybe that helps also something which may just be complete chance but maybe again a bit of tactical mind games or whatever is that the other teams have always swapped out their front row before us. And generally, referees ping, you know, the players who've just come on in the front row rather than the players who've, you know, played there for 60 minutes or whatever. So maybe there's a little sort of mind games and tactics in that regard that we always have our new front row second. So, um, you know, in terms of those, if, if there are any infringements, generally we didn't get them in that regard. Maybe, I mean, it could just be a big chance. I mean, obviously be talking rubbish, who knows? And uh, behind the
0: scrum, I think... Mickey Young this season has been probably the best I've seen him in years and I don't know that that's because he's been given a bit more of a, a go and play card or whether he's not been told to box kick it and box kicking was tactics that were handed down from the top kind I know Takalu used to do it as well, a lot as well. Do you think he's going to retain his place in the first team Or well, because I know you've earlier mentioned our new signing um, do you think that the, the plan was always to start Mickey Young. Or do you think it's now a case of Mickey Young's earned his place, and he's got to, it's I'm um, job to keep it. Oh, sorry, to to knock him out of it.
1: Um, I genuinely don't think it would have been the plan to have kept Mickey Young there permanently. Um, but he's been like a new signing, really, hasn't it Because that was another area we weren't sure about going the season. We'll scrum off because you're thinking, oh God, you know, you have got Mickey Young and Toby Flood still there starting. I mean, both have proved us and everyone wrong, I suppose, in that regard. I think it's obviously Schroeder's to 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 take really. Um, Mickey Young's been absolutely exceptional. I I do think again with his European fixtures, maybe that's a chance to kind of bench Schroeder in a bit more, give Mickey Young a bit of a break. Um, because I mean, can he consistently play that level for almost the whole game every week? Maybe not. Um, so I I would I would start Mickey Young. He's got the experience in the Premiership as well, which probably is another fact. I would start him in the Premiership until you know, if he does, if form does go off then you can swap it out, but I think the next couple of games are a good opportunity to have, well for Schroeder just really show what he can bring because I think in many ways he's going to be a different type of scrum half.
0: So I guess if we kind of move from Wasps onto the season so far um, I think the the things that I'd take from it thus far is that in the pack we've been flawless, I think line outs as he said, we've won them all um, scrums, we've been solid, around the park our pack are very strong in the malls, we've been doing very well the backs our defense i think has been quality it's very structured we've got a plan in defense we're flying up kind of cutting out the pass in the middle of the park is there anything that you'd like to pick up on in terms of strengths that we may not have highlighted or potential weaknesses that might not have been exploited by oppositions yet
1: I mean, the other strength, I suppose, I've never mentioned is Burrell. You can tell, again, just the quality he brings that we've been missing for a long time. He, as soon as he gets the ball, you know something positive is going to happen. You know he's going to make ground. You know he's going to get over the game line. You know you know he's going to make a decent pass or whatever. I know I think there's one time we had an unfortunate knock-on, but I think that's been it all season. So I think we've talked about the pack and maybe the, the backs in terms of attacking play haven't been quite as good perhaps and we've talked about well, they've done defensively but I think Burrell really kind of adds that extra quality that, that we've been missing for, for so long so I definitely think once again he deserves a mention.
0: On that we just mentioned um, kind of Mickey Young keeping his first his, his name on the, the team sheet um, are we going to put Orlando and not keep Flood and Burrell for the moment and make Orlando play for his position? It's a hard one because
1: um Flood and Orlando obviously very different type of players. Um, I would have thought that you that in the long term you would want Burrell and Orlando, but again they're quite similar sort of players. Um, I wouldn't have thought you you would necessarily have to play week in week out, but maybe it just depends. Maybe it's just horses of course. It depends on the, the the type of position you're playing, the type of game. Do you want? A, a, a sort of a battering round combination of Orlando and Burrell, or do you just have one or the other? Um, do, do you rotate them, you know, for the sake of it, or do you rotate them through simply just on form? Uh, you know how. how how many games can Flood play in a role? But, you know, you've got to cover for injuries as well, I suppose. It's important to actually, and they have a squad, and it's nice to, to have these sort of questions over which players start week in, week out. But yeah, it's going to be interesting and it's going to be a problem, but a really nice problem.
0: I think we'll, what we'll probably end up seeing is we'll have Mickey Young and Trudeau, one of the two on the bench. We'll then have Flood, I think, probably on the bench and he can either come on at fly half or centre if needs be. And then we'll have a, a kind of a back three bench option as well. And then we'll have the forwards. Um, so you've got your front rows and a couple of the loose five. And that, that'll be your bench. Um, but I think the fact that we we're having this discussion is extremely positive because at the start of the year, I know we were talking about our new signings and we are saying well, we've kind of got to wait for them to arrive and bed in. But now we're talking about are our new signings even going to be on the starting 15?
1: Well, not even new signings, but what about almost forgotten man Mark Wilson? Exactly. The way, the way the forwards are playing, would Wilson even get the team? I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't. You know, I don't think he'd make them any worse, but I mean, would he, would he disrupt it somehow? I mean, is that a risk that you take? Do you start to play these new players at the risk of kind of disrupting a winning formula? I mean, it's it's a really hard but, as I've said, good problem to have.
0: If you look at Collar and um, Gary Graham, if either of those two got dropped, they'd be furious because they couldn't have put a, they couldn't have played any better in the first three games. And then Robinson as well, I think, has been excellent as well. I know he's can be arguably a second row, but I, I think it would be extremely harsh to
1: drop anyone. And again, it goes back to I think, Richard's comment, saying that it's important at the moment to kind of keep the same players week in week out for purely for sort of team spirit and confidence. Because as you say, especially one of those forwards, if you play like that for the first three weeks and then find yourself dropped just for a arguably bigger name or whatever to go in, you'd be furious. And I think that I think it probably would disrupt things. Again, I mean, may this maybe the European games you come at a really good time, it kind of gives us a chance to sort of wrestle our laws a bit in the league and then kind of try out new things in a relatively safe environment, a different tournament. Yeah, I guess um,
0: injuries will come and the likelihood is at some point one of the second row's back rows will get injured on that point, you can maybe have Robinson going into second row or mixing it around a bit with those lot and you'll end up with Wilson going into the pack and no one getting dropped, it'll just be kind of a replacement and then it's up to them to try and get back in the team once they're back from their injury. And next week we've got Cardiff and the Europe. I think we'll be seeing a very different team, won't we?
1: Yeah, I mean obviously we've touched on that this already several times and that we, we expect there to, to be changes and I mean the whole style of the play could be different. Again, it depends what sort of team put out, how well they click, you know, how they're gonna really approach Cardiff in what is a I guess a very different game in terms of some ways a shot and nothing, but I'm sure they're gonna be very desperate to, to win it and kind of keep the wind's coming and the confidence rolling over. Yeah, I think that... Um, I know
0: at the start of the year we were saying we don't need to worry about Europe at all. It's just kind of a, a nuisance in the fixture list for us. But it's obviously a very good time for players that haven't necessarily played yet to get a run out. And also, given the way the squad's been playing, those players have to be up for it or else they're not going to play all season. And this is their chance to prove themselves because they're not going to get much for looking in the starting 15 the way it's going at the minute. And they need to themselves in competitive fixtures that yes, I can play at this level.
1: And so just I think the simple fact that they're very winnable. I mean, if we'd come into these two games on the back of results that we perhaps expected after the healing defeat, we'd be looking at this something, you know, as you say, maybe a bit of a nuisance and just chance for players to get injured or whatever. Um, but I think we can approach it slightly differently now in the sense that you know we're doing better than the other teams. In our group, and there's no reason why why we can't win those two games coming up. And you know, if possible, why why not have a bit of a European run? You know, I think it would be really nice for everyone around the club to to maybe I get have a chance at, at winning a, a trophy because obviously, you know, I know we're doing well, but it's very very unlikely we're going to win the league. There's no Anglo Welsh Cup this season, so. If we want our, At the end of the day, it's a chance for us to win something. And the way we're playing, we must be, as it stands, one of the favourites to sort of win it, just based purely on the first few games of the season. So, you know, why not have a go? We're, we're fortunately in a position where we can do that now.
0: Yeah, I know so far our predictions have been horrendous. I think that you might have pipped me last week because you were less pessimistic than I was. Um, Slightly, yeah. But I'm, I'm going to make a, mass, a massive deviation from the norm, and I'm going to predict a Newcastle Vulcan's win this week. I think we're, we're going to win 32-12.
1: Oh, I was actually going to predict 30-10 win I was going to go I was going to thought this would be a safe one to actually back the Falcons to win this day oh, Go on, I'll make it a bit different then uh, I think we'll win 35-17 But um, I'm well aware that
0: this could be the drinks that ruined the season so um, apologies if we lose them all from here on in Definitely not our fault As you may have realised we kind of have a little chat about something mid-episode um, and I think something we were chatting about earlier that I think would be kind of it's just an interesting little anecdote is about ground shares whether they work whether they don't whether they work in certain situations and uh, just our general feelings about them and um you i know you were wanting to talk about it just because of obviously london irish moving into their ground share at brentford the new stadium and...
1: yeah i mean i also thought it was slightly topical but because of that but um it's interesting when moving into Brentford Community commuter Stadium isn't it I believe that's what it's called As I think that it's a ground share that can work and I think it works because the ground is purposely built for teams that don't get relatively huge crowds I mean Brentford must probably only average crowds I would have thought no more than 20,000 London I should probably be the same if not much, slightly less um, so I think it's important if you do ground share that it's done right and I think in this case it has been done right um, I remember seeing something on I think it's Facebook actually. Um, I never. It was. It was an article from a rugby page, but making a comment about how Brentford fans were annoyed about having the ground share with London Irish, and I know part of the agreement for them to get the new ground was they had to share London Irish. Hence the name, you know, community stadium. But um, I think that's kind of what sort Of brought up the idea in my head, but I think in this case it actually works in terms of a from a rugby point of view in terms of ground share. Um, because it, it's good for, for Irish in particular, it's got to be better to have a, a more purpose built ground than as you say, their sort of nomadic existence and in a, a probably you know a quarter full if that um, majestic Stadium. So I think on that sort of point, it, it's been it's going to be, I think, a, a good move for them. And when you when you watch on the TV, I watch Mundarish at uh, home last week against leicester i think wasn't it um they you know looked looked a really nice ground and i think that they've actually done well with that but i don't think it works so well for other teams however yes it's actually interesting
0: because brentford were the smallest ground in the championship i think it's only they used to play at griffin park and that was only about twelve thousand people i think so it's almost a case of brentford sharing with london irish not london irish sharing with brentford uh, it's not as obvious as where you have your, your Edinburghs playing in Murrayfield and it's th- then a piddly part of a massive stadium or your, your Bristol's at Ashton Gate where it's been a football stadium for many years. I think this one is very much a purpose-built rugby football ground share.
1: Yeah, which I think means that it works because I mean we we went to we we we've been to Ashton Gate for example. Um you think it works fine. Um uh, I think you can very much tell that it's you know it's a rugby team playing in a football ground which it is though to be fair to bristol i think in a lot of ways have made it quite you know hospitable to play rugby there but i'm just thinking of other ones for example over the years so saracen's at vicarage road which you know i don't think really worked um sale were okay i think at Stockport county's ground uh, before they moved to their new ground um and i, I think over the years when, when these clubs have played at football ground. It just hasn't worked. Of course, Moss played at Rico Arena. Um, again, I'm not. Sure. It just just looks odd. But then you can argue again. Well, you know, it was all a fast for the move. It had to moved to Coventry anyway. But I, th- I think the only other way that it works is actually what the Falcons do is when they have the occasional one-off games at Student's Park, which are always well for the last two times they've been great successes. Um, I think that the the big difference for me is it's not necessarily
0: the purpose-built nature of a football stadium. It's just the fact that the football stadiums have so much empty seating. and Rugby team plays there, so it's just empty. Um, when we were at Ashton Gate, they kind of very much had various parts of the stadium with no fans in. But it meant that you kind of had one end or a side of the pitch where there was a lot more fans and it created a bit of atmosphere. But when you look at Edinburgh playing in Murrayfield or your Wasps, especially when they first moved to the Rico Arena, they're playing in these vast stadiums that were 95% empty. It's just rubbish. It kind of works with us and Newcastle Thunder. I think when rugby union and rugby league share a ground, same at Leeds, um, I think that's because they're not built with the same expectations of fan numbers, therefore, they don't have the same empty capacity.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point you made there as well about Edinburgh and Murrayfield because I guess it works in that regard as well if you have a club team playing in a, a decent, big size international stadium because, you know, when I went there for the Anakin Cup game a couple of years ago, it was bizarre and surreal because you're kind of excited. Oh, yes, we're going to see Falcons at Murrayfield. You know, that doesn't happen every week. And you get there and it's just sort of like, sparsely populated at the very bottom tier i think they even had just sort of like temporary temporary scaffolding stands in, like we had at kingston park all those years ago when they're building the building the west stand so it was a bit that was a bit of a dance in that regard um i know they wanted to make a bit of occasion i suppose i think they do regularly play at Merrifield and maybe to help pay the bills for Murrayfield. so in that regard i don't think you're right in that regard that doesn't work and again that's a rugby team playing in a purpose-built rugby ground um Although on the flip side, another interesting point is, if you're a club, do you if you're a rugby club, do you snap up the opportunity of playing at a bigger ground because does do you think that attracts more fans? Does it does it you know boost your profile in the in the area that you play in in general if you play it at a bigger ground? Because I mean, some of the rugby grounds we've played in, oh sorry, we've not played in, but rather we've gone and see. Falcons playing. I think they've been pretty poor, and they're, they're sort of purpose-built ones. Like, uh, the, no, I think the Stoop, for example, I use the Stoop also. I've just watched Harlequins play there, um, oh, on the TV, beating Gloucester. In the, you know, they've got poles. You know, you sit there, and you've got a big pole in front of you, and you think, well, you know, that's, that's rubbish. So, in some ways, you can sort of see the attraction of going to an actual, properly built, purpose stadium um, rather than the some of the the sta- you know, the rubbish rugby stands we've had to be in, you know, or Saracens for example, you know, that, that's probably the worst ground I've ever seen anyone play rugby in. Um, where you're in those terrible stands, you've got the running track as well. Um, so it's all sorts of different aspects. It's quite interesting to see that sometimes it works for clubs and sometimes it doesn't work.
0: So I think my favourite stand in the country has to be the Shed. I know it's full of grotesque Gloucester fans, but that has the poles in the middle of the stand. But in terms of an atmosphere, I think that it's almost like a bear pit for the opposition players when they go alongside it. It must be quite intimidating on the pitch. It's certainly intimidating as an away fan standing in there um, trying to cheer on your boys when they've got, I don't know, 4,000 um, West Country balling their head off.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess part of the effect of a stadium is, you know, the, the atmosphere fans generate. Maybe it is due to perhaps some of the, you know, a lot of the older stands, you know, you're tightly packed in there, maybe like there's generally a better atmosphere. So perhaps it could be said for that, but being biased, which of course we're definitely not, I think we've got a lot to be proud of in Kingston Park. Um, I know it's not, obviously, it's not the biggest ground in the world, but it's ours. We share it with Thunder, but it's not the same as showing with a football team. Um, you get, the seats are good, the stands are good, they're all modern purpose built, and know you get a bit wet I mean, in the North stand there, and I, I think, you know, the idea at some point would have been to obviously put a roof on like maybe the world in that one day. But I think actually there's a lot to be said of Kingston Park. And it has, has a character to it as well, which, again, you know, if you're rugby team, Rick Arena's got no character. But Kingston Park is, you know, bundles of character. You've got, you know, the howling gale, the howling wind. You, you know, you've got the, the very distinctive East Stand, for example. Uh, but again, it's purpose built rugby ground for a rugby team owned by rugby teams i think we've got a lot to be proud about in that regard so moving
0: on to the internationals this weekend um i think my favorite game was the fiji georgia one some good proper rugby not this horrible structured kicking felt like um when the clock back 20 years
1: yeah i mean i only watched the highlights for that one last night but it seemed to be a right cracker. I, mean, I mean the size of some of those fijian backs I mean, it's no wonder Georgia didn't really touch them for the first half an hour, whatever it was, when they ran in, I think Fiji ran in about three tries in that in a short period. I mean, especially the was absolutely brilliant, wasn't they? It? But uh, it's a real shame that Fiji haven't been able to play more of a part in the talks. I think, actually, they've probably been the, the best bit. Um, I think they would have been really good to watch them especially with that back line against, um, you know, a lot of the teams. I, mean, I think that's, you know, French and well, Scotland, for example. For, um, I'm not sure how well Scotland would be able to deal with a lot of, the, a lot of those Fijian players charging at them like that. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, that regards is just a shame we only saw them featingly and only against Georgia. Scotland-Ireland wasn't
0: really a one to report there, was it? It was quite boring, a lot of it. And um, Ireland nip, nipped in to get their third place and Scotland ended up fourth overall.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one. I, mean, I was keeping track of the score, but let's not forget, we had Falcons to watch, so uh, my attention was definitely elsewhere.
0: And then uh, Wales putting Italy to bed once again. No surprises there.
1: Yeah, apart from the Corsair, really.
0: The England game wasn't a fantastic match, but it turned out quite an exciting finish.
1: Yeah, we I mean, made very, very hard work of that. Um, the, I mean, it was a France team that was probably their third choice, because the way the top 14 rotation policy is, is they, they can't pick the same top players week in, week out, they have to rotate players from certain clubs all the time Uh, well, certainly for this competition the Six Nations will be different Um, so the expectation was that we would just batter them really, especially up front uh, with our forwards where England's strength really is just that sort of battering ram, isn't it? It didn't work like that, France played really well, I don't think England had a plan B when that didn't work, France were were clinical um, as well as their their superb defence, Farrell I mean, I don't know what's happened with kickers recently. We see people talk about every week. Uh, Farrell just didn't have his kicking boots on at all. I think almost absolutely cost us it with his missed kicks. Um, England were a bit better in the second half. It came out a bit more. I don't think France really got anywhere near England's line path maybe one or two occasions where it got a bit tense. But I don't know. I think... I mean, England probably did deserve it at the end. I think over the course of the game, we did have more territory, we did have more possession, and I think we probably had the, the better chances. But yeah, I mean, it's a win's a win, you know. It's a trophy a trophy. Um, Philip, don't get too excited about it. Um, but yeah, I think you know, it's nice to just end the year with, with a win, isn't it? And have a trophy in the cabinet after Six Nations. Yes, and probably will be the
0: the reigning champions for as long as rugby continues. I can't see that competition happening again in a hurry.
1: No, unless we've got another pandemic on our hands, I think that one's we're going to be winners forevermore for that one. I think. Indeed. Moving on to the the roundup of the
0: Premiership games, any notable results that stand out to you or not?
1: Well, the one I just watched actually uh, was a particularly good one with uh, Gloucester and Harlequins. So. Gloucester 24, Harlequins 34. That. Well, Harlequins at one point were actually down to 13 men, which included a straight red and a symboling. but Gloucester didn't get any points at all in that period, and Harlequins scored a really good try. And they just sort of ran away with it at the end. I'd say 34-24 win with that one. In terms of the other scores, I think really the the highlight was in terms of well, in terms of the scores was was us, wasn't it? Really, how yeah. how terrific win at Wasps.
0: Yeah. So um, just a quick roundup of everything we on Friday night. Um, Bristol, 18, Northampton, 17. Uh, Bath uh, were away at Worcester and came out 33-17 winners. We obviously beat Wasps 27-17 at the Rico Arena. Leicester at Welford Road lost 13-35 to Exeter, which I think we've got to take into account Exeter are the best team in the country by quite a way. But Leicester getting beaten by that much at home, I think that we, we kind of said... The last couple of weeks, I oh, was surprised that Leicester kind of doing as well as they are. That might have turned around a bit and there might be the Leicester way it kind of expected this year. I don't know. We'll have to see how it pans out.
1: Well, Leicester were actually won that half-time. So at half-time, we were top of the league. But uh, I think we always had the expectation that Exeter would probably sort of come out in the second half. And yeah, I mean, they torn they the to shreds in the second half. Um, again, that's what we're talking about beforehand. We mentioned it briefly in that, us in terms of forwards at least and i I mean definitely the backs are better than us quite clearly but what does it is the fact they're so clinical um there we are winning yes we're winning every week but they're winning and getting bonus points comfortably every week and that really is the absolute difference in level at the moment
0: yeah and then um the, the final one that we haven't mentioned was london irish at home losing 13 21 to Sale. um but it's what what is encouraging for me is that the teams that we have beaten Bath, Sale, and Wasps they've all won other games this season like Bath winning against Worcester and then um, Sale beating London Irish that shows that we are kind of by rights best than the teams the teams we've beaten have beaten if that makes any sense I don't know I
1: mean sport doesn't necessarily work out like that but um... Yeah, I think also the fact that you do have your London Irishes, your Worcesters and your Leicesters are losing, aren't they? I know they've won a game each, but, you know, they are losing now against teams that we have obviously mentioned that we actually comfortably beat. And as you say, that is encouraging. Um, All we can do is just try and better their results, really, isn't it? If we keep winning every weekend, we already have a nice points gap with all those teams in a really nice cushion at the moment. And, as you mentioned, Leicester at home is absolutely huge. And looking at the fixtures well into, you know, towards the end of the season, we we play all these teams, you know, London Irish, Worcester um, and Northampton who are struggling. We play all them at home towards the end of the season. So if we can pick a results against, this, you know, the so-called better teams, and then we have that running towards the end of the season, you know, we could be looking at a really, really strong finish. And is it fate that, Last time we played Harlequins as our last away game of the season, we won the league.
0: Well, could we knows? be
1: repeating that feature? <laughs> <laughs> perhaps not. But Say it every week, I think. <laughs> but um,
0: it is very nice that we're going to be going into Christmas, top of the league, our next league game, or oh, sorry, not top of the league, unbeaten the league. Our next league game is at home against Leicester on Boxing Day, this Friday night's uh, match. We're, we're unsure whether it's on BT Sport or present, but it's definitely on S4C, which is the Welsh language channel. And you can get that on your freeview box Somewhere on the red red button or the extended channels down near the probably between the news and the adult channels you'll find the Welsh language channel, I'd have thought. And then the following week we're playing Castro. And I think that one's on BT Sport.
1: One final thing is as, as we've touched before, is just kind of keep it ticking over, just in the build-up to what is that very important Leicester game, hopefully get a, a nice win there, we're in a really, really good position. I don't think we can really ask for any more. And I think the the interesting question is as we've mentioned in terms of team selection and the really sort of good problem that that we have um, in terms of who's going to play each week, especially with the European games coming up. And I think the most important thing is for a good few years of the Premier League, we can actually look forward to watching Falcons every week and have the expectation that we're going to win every week, which is really nice.
0: Yes, I am now excited to watch us play as opposed to just scared of the impending doom which I've felt sometimes in the last few years. This this year I'm writing in Christmas cards a lot. I hope 2021's better than 2020, but from a Falcon's perspective, I think uh, 2020 can last as long as it likes.
1: Definitely. I definitely don't want the year to end. <laughs> I think that's all for this week. Goodbye, folks. Bye, everyone.